Hey everyone, this is Ben Chapman. Thank you for listening to Luminous Church Podcast. It's always an honor that you would take time out of your day to listen to us. We hope that you would see Jesus more clearly today and that you would also be inspired to make a difference wherever you find yourself. Enjoy today's sermon and God bless you. But if you have your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy with me. Deuteronomy chapter 11 is where we'll be. Deuteronomy chapter 11. So uh, we will be there in just a moment. My name is Ben Chapman. I am one of the pastors here at Luminous Church. And it's so good to be with you this morning. Excited to share God's word with you and just share his heart through his word this morning with you. We are concluding a series called Who Am I? This is week six and we've been on a journey discovering a the answer to a question that seems very simple. Who am I? That's a pretty simple question, but very complex on how you live that out. And our hope for you is that you would begin to hear this 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 stories over the last few months as we looked at who who Jesus says we are in this scripture. <laughs> Praise God. Let's pray. Let's pray. We just need a need a big prayer. Come on, man. If you're around somebody, just put your hand on their shoulder and just let's do it. Father, we love you. God, we just thank you for today. Lord, we just pray that you would just come over this service. Lord, with just technical issues. Father God, thank you for our team who works so diligently, Lord Jesus, to provide a service and an atmosphere where we can hear the word of God. And so, Lord, I just pray today, God, that you would just come right now and that you would speak as you would want to speak. Jesus, there are certain truths that you want to illuminate to us through your word today. So I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Here we go. We're back on. We're back on. We, uh, this series has been incredible. Who am I? And I'm just, I'm so excited to be here with you this morning. And we've been leading these life groups throughout the six-week journey. And there's several life groups that are meeting. More life groups than we ever have had. And so um, lots of you have stepped into those life groups, started sharing life um, more than a row, but in a circle. And when life is shared in a circle and there's this exchange, God does something really special in these homes, in this community. And I'm excited because Chantal, um, who led our first song this morning. If you missed it, you missed it. And she did awesome uh, leading our first song. But she is a teacher in the school district. And she has been for the last year praying about starting a life group at her school with fellow teachers. And, and just this past week, her and a teacher connected and said, hey, let's do this. Let's start a group here at the school for teachers. And so they they started doing that. And they're, they're actually first one will be tomorrow. And they're going to go through this Who Am I series over the next six weeks. So that's amazing. Can we give Chantal a big hand for that? This is awesome. That's really one of our visions is that we would light the world is one of our visions. And so what that means is that we would be a light and illuminate God's word to the world um, as we go out into the marketplace. It's one thing to build community here, which we want, but it's another thing to start living on mission out there in our marketplace. And so that we could be the people of God that shine bright in this city. And so I'm just so proud of her. And today we're, we're 
we're going to talk about maybe a sensitive subject for some of us. Uh, Pastor Keaton did amazing last week for his first sermon ever. Come on, somebody. That was awesome. Yeah, that was awesome. He did amazing. He just talked about who am I um, when I don't feel happy. Uh, and so that's such a good topic and such a some, somewhat of a lighthearted topic. But today we're going to talk about who am I with my family? Who am I with my family? And, and for some of you, you hear the word family and all of a sudden your ears perk up, you smile and you just think good thoughts, happy thoughts for for most of us, we, we may think opposite. When we hear the word family, we think about um, um, some brokenness. We think about um, just the challenges of family, the challenges of being in family. And, and so wherever you land today, who am I with my family? I want to let you know that, that family is God's idea, God's idea, and that God has brought hope to your family and your situation, whatever it may be. In Ephesians 3, 14 and 15, it says this. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. For, for, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. That every family established, whether good or bad, has, has been derived by God. And God is the king of family. And it is God's idea that family would exist and family would take place. And so positionally, wherever we are in our family, are asking this question, who am I with my family? Who am I? Who am I as as a, a, a brother or a sister, as a son or a daughter? Who am I? Who am I supposed to be, God? What what is this supposed to look like? How am I supposed to live this out? And for a lot of us who have stepped into marriage, it's who am I with my spouse, right? I, I knew who I was before my spouse, but then when I got married, it's like everything was stripped down. I am exposed, and who I thought I was has changed, and it is very confusing, and I'm now trying to discover who am I with my spouse. Some of us are discovering who am I uh, with, without my spouse. Maybe you've gone through some kind of divorce or you've gone through a season of separation. You're wondering, who am I now as this person who was once married and now no longer? Who am I? Or who am I with this person, and, and, but now they have passed away and now I'm widowed? Who am I as a widowed husband or wife? Who am I? And then you throw kids in the mix. And, and once you think you figure it out with your spouse, all of a sudden kids come in the midst and, and, and you're like, who am I with my kids? Who am I as a parent? And, 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 and it's very complicated and very challenging. And yet God's intention was to begin to help shape us through our family. God's idea was family to help shape who we would become in Christ. That he has used the family to, in, in, in very strategic ways and in ways that, um, that sometimes we wonder why he's done this. But he uses family. And, 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 and this idea of family, we're constantly thinking that like, if we were just to arrive to the perfect family, then life would be perfect. You know, we, it, we, the, the world and culture tells us that if you find the one, the soulmate, uh, as, as Disney sold us so well on, the princess and, and, or the prince, and if we just marry them, then life would be happily ever after living. And, and we, we think that that would be the 
the case and then real life happens, right? All of a sudden, um, there, there's, there's days past the wedding day, right? There's pay, days past you walking down the aisle that you're like, what is going on? And then kids, you know, they show up and, and they're so loving and, and then they, they talk back. And then they make messes and then they grab markers and write on your brand new white walls and and they just start messing everything up. And you're like, who am I? What's going on? What's happening through all this family and all this all this what some people would deem drama, what some people would deem uh, just uh, chaos. It would be good that we navigate family, not through feelings and feel our way through the family, but we would operate with family under principles, under principles of, of what God has said. You see, we just recently built a house, and, and I, I'm so thankful that our builder didn't operate on feelings when he built our house. I'm so thankful that he didn't say, you know, I think, uh, I think you know, 10 yards of concrete will do. And, uh, yeah, let's not, let's not level it out. Let's just, let's just eyeball it. Oh, yeah, that looks about right. Does that feel right to you? Yeah, that feels right, you know. I'm so glad that they didn't operate our foundation on feelings, right? I mean, I'm glad they actually used some principles and some measurements, and they actually knew how much rebar to use and how much base to put down and how to maneuver all that. I'm thankful for that. I recently decided to lay my own foundation. I have this mailbox and I wanted to brick it up and I was rushed, you know, pressed for time. And you know how time, you know, will just press you to make bad decisions. Have you found that to be true? It's like, it's like the timeshare's dream. If you sell those, that's, that's your secret, you know, let's just, time is on our side right here, you know? And, and so I was just like, I'm going to lay out this brick mailbox and I need a foundation and so I put some boards around and I dumped some cement and put some water started it didn't need to level it and I was like that's gonna be fine it's gonna work out fine the truth is is my mailbox may not last very long it, it may fall down but I don't live in my mailbox right I don't live in my mailbox it, it, it's it's at the end of the day if it falls down it's not really that big a deal and I want to just tell you that that there are feelings that can happen that, and I would say Make feeling choices out of things that aren't a big deal. What movie do you want to see? I don't care. You know, I feel like seeing this one. That's a good choice. But don't build your family on feelings. Build it on principles. One of the principles that we're going to look at on how to build family is Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 through 28. As we look at this principle, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. This idea that God, God was in the making and creation of family, that he's the one who designed it and put us into place. And he said, be fruitful, go make children, go, go increase your family and subdue it. Have this level of authority over the family and the territory that you possess. Now, when we hear the word authority... We often attribute it to some negative feelings, some negative thoughts. And, and, and everything that's going on right now in our culture and media, all of a sudden we look at authority and there's negative attributions to it. But this idea of authority, subdue the earth, this is actually doesn't mean control. It means influence. 
as God reigns as king. Influencing the situation, influencing your family with, with God reigning and God blessing it. This would be the level of authority that we should have in our household and that he would want us to possess. So today our main thought is this, no other environment in our lives shapes our identity more than our family. That's why it's critical for us to understand God's pattern to family. That this whole idea that, that God has created, this is his pattern. This is what he has set up. And this is the principles that we need to stand on. That it was his idea. And then another principle that we can guide ourselves with is found in Deuteronomy. One of the verses that we use when we, say, when we dedicate babies and children up here. It says this in Deuteronomy eleven eighteen through 19. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. We have encouraged parents all the time at Luminous to begin to live out this verse that the word of God would be fresh on our lips when we wake up and when we lie down. And as we go along on our walk and journey, that the word of God would be the thing that encourages and increases our family and begins to move in our kids' lives. This is our hope and our desire. My dad, who was orphaned twice, he was orphaned twice, made it his mission to be the best dad possible. And so as a result, when he came to faith at 17 years old in Christ, he decided that he's going to live this life the best he knows how. And as a result, he didn't have an example of an earthly father. He didn't have an example of what that looked like. He, didn't, he wasn't raised around that, but he said, I'm going to just try and learn. And one thing I know is all the answers I don't know, God knows. And therefore, every time before my kids go to bed, when I'm off duty, because he was a police officer, when I'm off duty, I'm going to tuck them in, I'm going to read the Bible, and I'm going to pray over them. And so that's what he did. So we learned the Bible through stories from my father. We learned, we learned um, through, through looking at these pictures in this Bible. And, and then we would ask questions before bed. And we would begin to dialogue about faith and what that looks like. And then he would pray for us. And there was many, many nights that my mother and father would come in to tuck us in. And I'm so thankful they weren't the parents who just said, hey, Good night and, and sent us off to our room, but they were there by the bedside and they were showing us Jesus. It was one of these principles that uh, at night that I'm going to talk about God and I'm going to show them Jesus. And then throughout our journey, throughout our journey, my dad would just talk about Jesus as we just walked along. As we just walked along this moment and, and, and as we did, he wouldn't call me Ben, he would call me son. You know, there's an important thing when, when a father calls you son, all of a sudden it begins to do something to you. You start to, you start to get this moment of, man, I am, I am loved. I belong. I'm not just another name, but I belong into this house. 
And because of Jesus, if you had a tough family, he's the one that we can lean into in these moments to help shape identity, to help shape who we are. So how does our family influence our identity? There's three points I want to give you today. Three points if you're taking note. How does our family influence our identity? First, your spouse shapes, not defines your identity. Your spouse shapes, not defines your identity. Now, now I know there's a lot of single people in our church, right? And all of a sudden, you're checked out. Why are we talking about marriage and kids? I'm in college. No, thank you. But I want to tell you that I've sat under a lot of these teachings at your age and as a college and a young adult and a young professional. And I really gleaned a lot of stuff. And I want to say this, too, is that, that almost everyone, not everyone, but almost everyone actually wants to get chose in this place, right? Anybody want to get chose? Anybody want to choose? You know, I, I just want to choose. I don't want to get chose. I'm not waiting around. You know, so, so you, you want to get chose. You want to get married. And so there's some things that we can look at is that your spouse will help shape your identity. Help shape your identity. This is found in, the, in, in Ephesians as Paul is writing and he's encouraging us that, that God is the father of your family. That family is God's idea. That, that, that Paul who, who writes that, that it is good to be single. It's better to be single actually because you can really do a lot of things for Jesus like I'm doing. But, but I want to tell you. That if you are to marry, this is what it was look, look like. And then he gives an Ephesians 5 description of what marriage would look like that would honor God in a great way. In Ephesians 5:33, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. There's this moment in Ephesians 5 that when you get married, your spouse will help, help shape who you become. They, they won't define it, but they'll start help shaping it by, by this model of, of loving you and respecting you. Every time I come up here and I preach and Brandy says, oh, babe, you killed it. You're awesome. I love you. Wow, you're so sexy up there. You know, it's just crazy. Like, man, you're the father of my children. I'm the, I want to date you this week. Oh, babe, you got it. What does that do to every man? Oh, dude, I can conquer the world, bro. Give me a mic. I'm ready to preach. I'm ready to go. Somebody's getting saved today. You know, you just, like, start getting excited. You, you just, like, built up. You're confident, right? Because, because the words that a woman speaks to her husband begins to shape him into a man that he was created to be. Your words matter to a husband. Your affirmation matters. Your respect of your husband helps shape him into who God wants him to be. And likewise, Ephesians 5 says, the way that you love your wife helps shape her. The way that you love her, the way that, that when you, after you worked all day, right, and after, after you put in all the hours and after you tucked in the kids and you just barely made it to bed, that you decided, hey, I'm going to stay up and I'm going to listen to you for an hour. I'm going to listen to you talk and just, share and download and tell me about your day and tell me 
about your boss and tell me about the kids and tell me what's going on and, and, and I, I care because I love you. You see, as we give an ear to our wife, all of a sudden there's this love that is exchanged where they feel loved, they feel protected, they feel secure and it helps shape them and who they are and they realize that no matter what, no matter how much the kids yell, no matter how much the boss goes at me, no matter what my friendships look like, no matter how much dramas in high school and all, everything else, I know no, I know, right, in this moment that I'm loved, and it helps shape you. It, it matters who you marry, and it matters that you would be a whole person before you step into a marriage. A lot of us are half people, and we're looking for the missing piece. We're looking to connect with somebody. If, if I just, whoo, if I just marry that girl right there, she's so pretty. You know, if I just marry her, oh, man, look at that girl. Look at her degree. Look at her accolades. Look at all that stuff. Man, if we just put together, I will find myself. I will become a whole person. But I want to tell you that two halves don't make a whole in this situation. It's everything's backwards in God's economy. It never works out like we want it to work out. In fact, you have to actually be a whole person and come and find a whole person. And this is what God does. And it's amazing. And I want to say this, as great as marriage is, and I really think that God uses marriage to really shape you. I want to say that for those who are called single and called to be single, I want to tell you and encourage you. In verse Corinthians 7, 8, it says, Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. There are people who are called celibacy. There are people who are called to, to, to live out their life single. And I want to applaud you because I think once you get to know that and God puts that call on you, I think God's going to do amazing things in and through your life in great ways. But for those who know they're supposed to be married, <laughs> quit delaying it. Quit delaying it, you know, just not growing up and not becoming the whole person that God created you to be. Start stepping into what Jesus called you to be and start finding out who you are and believe God for that spouse. It's going to be amazing what he does. The second point is this. God entrusted parents with the primary responsibility to help their children discover their identity in Christ. A, a stable home will produce more confidence in, in, in Christ, in your children, than a home that is not unified. Than a home that's not unified. So, so begin, to, begin to realize that in the home, the way that your kids fall in love with Jesus, the onus is on you is on you to begin to point them to Jesus in a great way, in a way that says, hey, I want to help you discover who Christ is. And a couple of people that helped shape me from the pulpit before I was married, before I had children, one of them was Pastor Jim LaFoon. Pastor Jim is a great dad, you know, just, just like a teddy bear, you know. You just want to hang out with him, you know, and be around him all the time. And he tells the best stories, and he's amazing. But something that he would say is that, that when my kids woke up in the middle of the night from a nightmare, what I would do is I would help them take authority over their room. So instead of just saying, hey, come here, I'm going to protect you, let's hang out in bed, he would actually take them to their room, and he would teach them to subdue or have authority over their room. So he said, hey, we're, this is your room. 
This is not the enemy's room. There's no fear in this room. There is only love in this room because God is in this room and you love God. And so we're going to pray and we're going to take authority of this room. And so we, they would begin to pray, begin to hear from Jesus, begin to seek God. And all of a sudden, you know, not every time, but, but over time, what they begin to understand is I'm not ruled by fear. But I have overcome fear by the love of Jesus and what he's called me to do. And, and, and that's an amazing thing. I was shaped by Russ Austin, one of the pastors in mid-cities. Where he would say it to all of his kids and his grandkids. This is something he would do as a grandparent oftentimes. So he says, ask God one question. Why, God, did you make me? Why, God, did you make me? What did you make me for? Why did you make me? Begin to ask God that question. And as you begin to ask God this question, what happens is God begins to speak and he begins to define you. And you live out of that definition versus every other definition that the world's trying to give you. You start living out of this truth. And, and it was a great question. And then Donnell Jones spoke a message three years ago. And it really helped change me and shape me. But he said this. And I'm not going to give you the whole message, but it was four F's. And he said, that men need to walk in these four F's. They need to walk in faith, believing that, that, that they, the veil has been torn and you have access to the Father because of Jesus. And so you don't, you don't, you don't um, live for blessing. You live from blessing, right? You live from truth. You don't live for truth. You live from what Christ already paid for. You don't live for it. And it's an amazing moment. And the second thing he says, family. The family, keep family important. Keep it, keep it the center. Keep family lifted up. Be around family. It's so important in your life. Don't, don't forsake family. Don't grow a business on the back of your family. Don't grow a church at the expense of your family. Keep family where it should be. Third thing is he said, friends. Every godly man needs friendship. He needs friendship, and you need to find those friends. And you need to spend quality time with them. And you need to be intentional with the friendships that you have. And last, he said, is fitness. Because the enemy wants to cut your life off short. So you need to live fit so that you can fulfill the purpose of God on your life. And these four F's, these shape us on how we begin to pour into our kids. In this moment of shaping our children, oftentimes we live out of the urgent instead of the important. We teach out of the urgent instead of the important. For instance, your kid acts up and then you say, hey, don't do that. Because one day, you know, you're going to be great and you don't need to do that anymore. Right? Or, or in this moment of reactionary, reactionary discipline, reactionary life lessons. Right? How many dads go in there after the kid disobeys and they give them a life lesson after the disobedience. Right? I'm going to tell you, if you parents... Out of the urgent, instead of the important, you're going to miss it, and you're going to get behavior modification and not the heart. You're going to be, oh, man, every time, every time I get in trouble, that's when I get a life lesson. Where's the life lesson throughout the journey? This is the walk along. This is what they taught, and, and the Jewish people said, I'm going to teach you along the way. I'm going to teach you life principles. I'm going to teach you about life and, and what you should do. I'm not going to wait till you mess up before I instruct. I'm going to instruct before you were ever to mess up. 
I'm going I'm to talk to my kids about the things that they need so desperately. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to Benson about one day he's going to marry a beautiful girl. And, and she's going to be amazing, not just in, outwardly, but she's going to be amazing inwardly. She's going to love God so much. In fact, Benson, I'm going to tell you the secret to find the wife for life. Ready? You're going to run out your destiny, and you're going to run for Jesus as fast as you can. You're going to live out whatever he's called you to do, and you're going to advance the kingdom on earth. Benson, you're going to go. You're going to love Jesus. It's going to be amazing. But you aren't going to be distracted by looking uh, for a girl. What's going to happen? You're just going to run. And then one day, there's going to be a girl running just as fast as you. And she's pursuing Jesus, and she's going after Jesus. And there's going to be this moment where you look to your side, and you make eye contact with this person. You say, you know what? We should do this together. We should run after Jesus together. And that's, that's what I'm beginning to instruct Benson on. Beginning to tell him these principles that, that, that this is what God has called you to do. And you begin to do this. And this is what the Lord would want. The third thing is identity is the key issue of your teenage years. And you know this. We talked about it a couple weeks ago that adolescence, the age 12, this is such a critical moment. But teenagers are strange and awkward, and they have bad days. And you're looking at me like, hey, stay off of me, pastor. But I was there, and I was awkward, and, and my voice changed, and, and the, the peers started getting me. And every day affected me, and you go to high school, and you have all your peers, and there's all this drama that happens in, in your teenage years. And, and the thing is, and the truth is, is like back in the day, I could check out. When I went home, it was safe. When I went home, I could close the door, and I could, just, I could escape all of life's stresses as a teenager. But today, the world comes home with a teenager on their phone, and they don't get to escape the pressures. They don't get to escape the drama. All the fights and everything that happened, they don't get to escape that. The embarrassing moment that they want to forget about when they get home, it's right there on TikTok. You know, it's like just right there. <laughs> Nobody. Okay, okay. So I don't know. Snap. Some. All right. Praise God. So we have to move this moment of where we, where we begin to train our teenagers and train our children. It's no different than the marketplace. So in the marketplace, right? I'm, I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm going to tell you what to do, and I'm going to tell you how to do your job. And then I'm going to, I'm not just going to tell you, then I'm going to show you. And after I show you, then we're going to do it together. And then after we do it together, I'm going to entrust you and empower you for you to do it on your own. You know, you work at Bill Miller's, your, your, your OJT is like a week, right? I'm going to, I'm going to train you for a week. If you're looking to, to replace your firm or your business and you're raising up somebody to take over, it's going to be a longer process. With your children, it's a long process. With your children, it's not a week, it's not a day, but it's a journey. And so uh, one of our elders, Voltaire, has said this, and I've said it oftentimes, but it's really so true. As parenting, it's the same thing. Is that, that when you're little, I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm going to tell you what to do, and I'm going to make the choices for you. Right, and then there may be these little moments where you give them choice, but really you're telling them what to do. You are dictator, as Voltaire says. <laughs> he likes that. But then, but then you'll move into this place where we get to decide. 10, 11, 12, kind of this rite of passage. We get to decide. We get to decide what to do, and, and we get to make choices together. 
And this is the, where you do it with them. And then there's this moment, right, where you decide and I'll override. You decide and you make choices, but I'll override. You're, you're, you're 16 years old. You want to go to your friend's house. I'm going to a friend's house. We're going to be up till 1130. And I know I have a test tomorrow, Dad, but it's okay. Okay. All right. I'm okay with that. But maybe it's like, Dad, I want to stay up till 1 o'clock and I have the SAT tomorrow. Then you override, say, no, you're going to come home early. Right? There's, there's moments where you get to make decisions. You get to pull out these, these, these cards that override their decisions. And, and it's part of training them. And then at 20 years old, they decide. This is, this is part of, part of their, their training. And at 20 years old, you're praying, praying and trusting. Lord, I pray that we train them right. I pray that we did everything the best that we could. Lord, you guided our days, and, and Lord, I just trust you at 20 that they're going to start making great decisions. And so Krisha just turned 20 not long ago, and we're so excited because now she gets to make decisions, you know. And, and, and this is amazing because she actually can start dating now. So that's awesome. So, so that's so praise God for Krisha. You know, this is so great. And so here's the thing is in your family, your identity is shaped, but it's not defined. Right? Your identity is shaped. In your family, God has used the vehicle of family to help develop you and to be all that God has wanted you to be. And some of that is hard trials and some of that is, is, is joys. But your family helps shape that. And I'm just going to tell you this is that all of us are in family in this room. And we all have an onus on us to help shape the people that we're around. We all have a responsibility to start influencing people around us, the family that he's placed us in, to help strengthen and shape them, all of us. But as we close today and we close this series, I want to remind us of Matthew 3.16. It says this, and when Jesus was baptized... Immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. It's this moment where God begins to define you. And out of living, out of his definition for you, is where identity is truly rests and begins. Jesus didn't do anything before this. You know this. He didn't perform any miracle before this baptism. He didn't raise the dead. He didn't heal the deaf. He didn't preach the greatest sermon ever preached. It was this moment before he began his, before he began his ministry that God defined who he was. And from that, he lived out his ministry. And I want to tell you right now is that this is the same for us. If God defines you, then you can live from that to what he's called you to live. Would you stand with me this morning? And I just want to say this. That to jump into Jesus and to jump and say, I'm going to place all my faith in you, Jesus. I'm going to place all my identity. I'm going to live from that. That is a scary place. Because you're leaving a lot behind when you jump towards Jesus. 
When you put your faith in Jesus, you're living, uh, you're leaving behind some of this sin, some of this familiarity, some of these things that are self-gratifying, self-pleasing, uh, this selfishness life you're leaving behind and you're jumping in towards Jesus. And I liken it to this, being at the edge of a cliff and how many of you have ever cliff jumped? It's like so exhilarating. And I liken it to this, where you're at the edge of the cliff and you look at the water 30 feet below, five feet for some, one foot for others. You look at this water and you're here and you say, I want to jump in there, but I like it over here. I want to jump in there, but it's, it's such a far leap. It's so much. I, I'm trying to get over there, and it's, it's this leap of faith. And, and for most guys who are jumping cliffs, they aren't doing it by themselves. They're going with other guys, right? Because we got to encourage each other because we need some strength. We need our family around. Hey, you can do it. Hey, man, you got this. Come on, just do it. Come on. You know, you start to encourage them. And all the ladies, you know, with your lady friends, you got it. Come on. You know, just encouraging you to do it. And it's awesome. But the danger of this, the danger is this. If you jump, but you don't jump and commit. And you don't commit and trust the process and trust that Jesus will catch you and trust that it's going to be okay. If you, if you jump and you try to grab back to the cliff, what happens? You get hurt. And there's a lot of us who tried Jesus and we jumped reluctantly, but we've looked back and we held on to the cliff. And as a result, we're walking around hurt, wondering what's going on. But when you jump all in, and I want to encourage you, church, this morning, when you jump all in with Jesus, there's like three seconds of, of immediate freedom. It's like nothing can hold you back, and it's exhilarating. And all you're doing is yelling and screaming and enjoying the ride. And I want to just encourage you, when you jump with both feet into what Jesus has done and who he is, what happens is there's total freedom. Freedom. And it's a beautiful ride. It's what Jesus wants for you. I want to pray for you before we leave. If you wouldn't mind bowing your heads and closing your, closing your eyes. And I just want to give an opportunity for everyone to respond who would like to respond this morning. Maybe you have never jumped all in. You've been, you've been finding your identity not not shaped but defined by your family you find your identity not not shaped by your job but defined by your job that, that all you are is the definition of what you do but today you're deciding I don't want to live in that anymore I want to live with Jesus on the throne of my heart I want to live fully jumping in and embracing the freedom that he gives if you've never done that, would you raise your hand this morning if, you're, want to, if you want to jump this morning into that life? I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. Church, can we pray this together? Dear Jesus, thank you for the confidence that you're going to catch me. Jesus, I pray, whatever I'm holding on to, what I turn away from, and would I jump towards you? Become the Lord of my heart, the Lord of my mind, the affection of my eyes. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. 
Amen.